So I was sitting in this evening in the little empanada restaurant where I often hide out before Tuesday night sitting group and wondering, whoops, wondering what I might uh, speak about tonight. And one of the wonderful things about the little empanada restaurant is there. there's a, often a nice little cavalcade of different music playing. And tonight, what came on was Bob Marley, Redemption Song, and it inspired me. It inspired me so much, I wrote down a few of the lyrics for the song, and then I even looked up some of the history of the song. So let me back up before I share the essential lyrics. I wanted to share where the song came from, actually. The lyrics were from a fellow named Marcus Garvey. Uh, In a speech he gave in Nova Scotia, and it was published in Black Man magazine. And he, quote, We are going to emancipate ourselves from mental slavery because whilst others might be free, might, might free the body, none but ourselves can free the mind. Mind is your only ruler, sovereign. A person who is not able to develop and use his or her mind is bound to be the slave of the other person who uses his or her mind. So the, so the essential part of the song that inspired me this evening was emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. And it's called Redemption Song. And, and even just hearing the, the word song brought to mind the different songs of realization that I have read over the years because it's a, not an uncommon experience for someone who, who trains their mind, who wakes up to spontaneously let out a, a utterance or a song or something that just expresses the, the joy of, of awakening. And the reminder that it is within our capacity, our power, regardless of our circumstances, independent of circumstances, to free our minds. I don't know how many of you have read Viktor Frankl's book, The Man's Search for Meaning. It's a very classic book. He wrote it on little bits of paper when he was uh, incarcerated, when he was in the concentration camps during World War II. And he, his essential uh, theme was, they can, they can enslave me, but they can't enslave my mind. My mind is free. And there are so many levels of meaning to this notion of freedom, but 
but what the, the Buddha's notion of freedom and the song that he shared upon his awakening, I found just inexhaustibly inspiring. And tonight when I was just thinking about different songs of realization, I thought of the, the great ecstatic saint uh, Ramakrishna, uh, Indian saint of the last century, some, died sometime around the, the 50s or 60s of the last century. Seems like a long time ago now. It seemed like right during my lifetime. It's kind of wild. Anyway, he was sitting around with a group of people one day and had went into this kind of reverie into his state of, of realization. You know, he's just sitting there ordinarily like the rest of us, but when he opened his eyes, he let out a song. He said, Oh, longing mind. Maybe you can relate to this. Any of you have a longing mind? It says, Oh, longing mind, dwell within the depths of your own pure nature. Do not seek your home elsewhere. Your naked awareness alone, O oh mind, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you long so desperately. That song of realization that our own nature, the very consciousness or awareness through which we're perceiving, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you have longed so desperately. Do not seek your home elsewhere. Your naked awareness alone, O oh mind, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you long so desperately. Now this, to me, is like a, a call. It should not be so mysterious, so exotic. It's so close. It's your own intrinsic wakefulness. This freedom. I'm curious what happens to your mind when you hear this. Does your mind come up with a doubt says, not me, not relevant, not this lifetime, I've got other things more important to deal with. So as another wonderful utterance or song of realization is from Kala Rinpoche, he says, you are the Buddha. You are the Buddha. Buddha means awake. It's so close, yet people think it's so far. So immediate. Most people think it's so distant. Because why do you not realize this here and now? Because there's a veil, which is the belief that you're not the Buddha. That you're just a separate individual. If you, if you can see through this view one time, you can refer to it all the time. As he says, refer to this ever-present wakefulness and thick clarity. So you get this message that these songs of realization are, are this sense of tremendous relief after having gone endlessly in search of ourselves 
that longing mind constantly going out in search, going to try to get conditions to be just the way I want them, to get what I want, to get rid of what I don't want, to become what I'm not. All the while, the natural freedom that we so desperately long for is none other than the natural state of our own mind. So I would love for everyone, everyone to have your own song of, of freedom. Your own redemption song, in other words. Because none but you can free your mind. I'll just, before I start talking a little bit more about how we free our mind, just reiterating what you hear every week, but what somehow trying to synthesize a little bit about what the Buddha said about how each of us, none but ourselves, can free our mind. When the Buddha, I'll just give you a little background, he practiced, he was 29 years old. He, he did a lot of renunciation. He gave up his, his partner, his wife, his child, which is, seems completely from our point of view like a, a crazy thing. And it's very, from our, our present vantage point, it's kind of a, uh, offensive to a certain degree. And so we have, to, we have to look at our own conditioning around how we view those things. But nevertheless, it's true that he, he said even to his dad, he says, if I, if I don't have peace in my heart for me to live this conventional life would be like sitting on a bed of coals. And so in his case, he, he felt he didn't know any better. He felt he had to leave home because he'd seen the example of someone who seemed very peaceful, renunciate, somebody who was swimming against the stream of what everyone else was preoccupied with, more stuff. You know, we are, we, we are definitely in the land of stuff. I don't know if you've, you've studied our language. Our language is heavy, heavy on nouns. And so it's all about things and then the acquisition of things and associating our happiness with, with acquiring or getting rid of. The most burgeoning business in the U.S. is uh, storage sheds trying to figure out what to do with our stuff. And it's partly because of the way we frame our life. We don't frame it in terms of the flow of life, of nature. You hear the, you know, like the Native American languages, much more about the river, about, about knowing, knowing your, your relations and being in tune with the flow of life. In fact, I was thinking tonight about the Mokan, People, those people on the coast of Myanmar or Burma, this tribe that was, they're not the, the, the tribe that is the victims right now of, of ethnic cleansing. I think they actually live right next door. But this Mokan tribe survived the huge tsunami back in the early, whenever it was, the late 1990s. When was the tsunami? Something like that. But this big tsunami and this tribe of um, locals survived the 
tsunami and people started studying them, how, how they were able to tune into the rhythms of nature and the tribes that lived right next door that were more, more modern, acculturated tribes, they all perished in the, in the tsunami. And one of the most telling things about that, the language of those Mokan people, was that it had no word for when, no word for when. So they're, they were not all bound up in time. And there was no word for want. Isn't that interesting? So there was no sense of, of having to postpone being right where you are, which is the wanting mind colors our perception, makes us think that the next thing, some other time, will be the place where I find relief. So anyway, getting back to the, the Buddha, he, he saw this with his, from, his, from the point of view of some, of some intuition that, that awakening was an inside job where he saw that there was this someone who had found something within them. But he couldn't just keep going along in the, in the same worldly patterns. And this is in no way to suggest that you have to leave home to awaken. In fact, that's what he realized later on. But he left home and he, he practiced and he studied himself. He studied, he kept looking, looking, looking within and he studied his mind and he studied his body, he studied his mood until he became crystal clear about how his mind worked. He studied as Dogen says, to study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self, whatever we take to be ourselves. To study the self is to see through the self, is to forget it. It's not even there, the one we imagine ourselves to be. To forget the self is then to be awakened by the myriad things, to have everything be the cause of our awakening, every aspect of our life. But getting back to the, the Buddha by paying attention to the myriad things over and over, back into his body, studying different states of mind, studying the flow of sensations, studying moods, studying thoughts and images, studying the forces in his mind, the greed, the aversion, the delusion, being able to make the shift from being simply unconsciously being carried along by the stream of our conditioning, which is mostly what we do when our minds are untrained. We're just at the effect of whatever our mind is doing or saying or thinking. And so a yogi wakes up and says, wow, look at, the, look at this mind. Look at this longing mind. But in the course of that looking, the Buddha noticed this pattern of little experience, moments of experience, these precious moments leading to leading into uh, the pleasant moments followed by liking, liking followed by wanting, wanting followed by becoming, and how, how the simplest little experience could send us into imagined worlds where we're somebody who's come from the past, going through the present, on our way to happiness somewhere else. 
a whole creation of an identity in a flash of a moment. He saw that over and over, how his mind would build a house, would build this house of me. Now where's that house of me in real time? Where is the house of ego right in this very moment? We can't find it. We can only find immediacy, sense experience, each other. We don't find a self and we actually don't find another. We find this a sense of presence. So when the Buddha is paying attention to this construction of self and the ever-changing flow of experience, and he's, he's seeing that nothing in this ever-changing flow of experience could be held on to because everything's changing. You can't, there's, it's groundless. And, and he saw that his body and mind were changing all by themselves and that was happening selflessly. The world is happening selflessly. But things happen also law, lawfully according to conditions, according to causes. That things don't happen by accident. And he saw that those, he saw that when the mind was inclined toward joy, toward love, toward compassion, toward letting go, toward generosity, toward patience, toward wholesome qualities, it became gladdened and happy. When it inclined toward greed, toward hatred, toward delusion, toward ignorance, it became unhappy. And he saw that that your present saw that that whichever way you incline your mind becomes your life. And in that he saw, oh, maybe it's possible to incline the mind toward to, to take our mind outside of being a slave to our mental habits. To not be so at the effect of our mind. To free the mind. So he sat and he noticed and he flowed and his mind became so bright, so clear. And that's, it just tells us that you have the same clarity. In fact, any moment, any moment, just tune in right now, any moment that you are knowing are conscious and clearly comprehending what's happening, any moment that you're aware, at least momentarily free of your last thought and before your next one arises, there's a vivid clarity that's already there. This is awareness. You nurture that clarity you remain undistracted. That's what we basically do when we practice. We use whatever's here to help us remain, remain present so that that clarity can just become more familiar, become stabilized until it just shines, until we're actually quite taken with the fact that we have this radiance within us. This metaphor of light is used a lot, the light of awareness. As Nisargadatta put it, an Advaita Vedanta teacher, he says, when the mind is kept away from its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. 
And if you don't disturb that quiet and stay in it, you'll see that it's permeated with a light and a love you've never known, yet you recognize it at once as your own natural state. Once you've tasted that, you'll never be the same person again. The unruly mind will break that peace and obliterate that vision, but it's bound to return if the effort is sustained to remain undistracted. Until all bonds are broken, grasping at what's next ends. Grasping and attachment ends and life becomes supremely concentrated in real time in the present. That's within our capacity. So when the Buddha's mind was shining in its clarity, he just saw the flow of experience. And he saw the way his mind had this very strong habit of building uh, an imaginary me. And its habit was, when that goes unnoticed, to literally incarnate in those little mind worlds. And if you incarnate in those mind worlds, they'll lead you to what you want and where you're going. They'll lead you into the imaginary time. And there's something sadly missing in that, in that mind search, in that longing mind. It tends to search elsewhere. It doesn't, it doesn't search here. And so when the Buddha saw that his mind was building these houses over and over again, and it was, had led him endlessly astray in, in what he calls samsara's vicious cycle. Samsara means endless wandering. Always waiting for the next thing. Always in, obsessed with what's next. You know, I, I, have to, I have to self-disclosure. I am not free of this longing mind that tends to look elsewhere. I put in my calendar... I, I can't believe I'm telling you this. But I put in my calendar the announcement of the new iPhone. About six months ago, or whenever it was, I put it in my calendar. Because I was curious. But that's, the, but that's the kind of delusion our mind can enter into. We're starting to associate that when the next iPhone's coming out, as a source of some kind of well-being. It's pure delusion. Of course, those who watched it, I didn't. You know, I did, that, by the time it came, I could care less. But somebody watched it today, said so it was very underwhelming. <laughs> you know, of course, it's underwhelming. <laughs> it's absurd. <laughs> Associating any kind of happiness with the next iPhone, that's batshit crazy. <laughs> Anyway, sorry if it includes you. <laughs> oh. Anyway, it's a little warm up here. It's gotten warmer since I told you that. So when the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree and saw the, the, this whole creative process and, and reflected on the endless amount of of wandering that his mind had done and then his body had followed and how it kept him in what I call a state of suspended happiness. He sat and he just, there's something in him that just let go. And when he let go, 
he felt such a profound sense of peace, a profound sense of freedom, emancipation from mental slavery. None but himself could free his mind. And he let out a song. He said, through many births, through many births, in the wandering on, I ran seeking but not finding the maker of this house. Oh, house builder, you've been seen. You shall not build a house again. Your rafters are broken, which means the defilements, the, the, the confusing mental states that tend to captivate us and lead us to believe that the present moment is not the source of well-being and peace. Your rafters are broken. Your ridgepole destroy ignorance. That version of you that plays through your mind that drives you here and there and everywhere, describe somebody who doesn't exist. That version of you is, is just a thought. A thought of you is not you. Just like a thought of your mother is not your mother. It is a, it, it is a story. It says, Through many births in the wandering on, I ran seeking but not finding the maker of this house. O house builder, you've been seen. You shall not build a house again. Your rafters are broken the ridgepole destroyed, my mind gone to the unconditioned. Not to caught on this wheel of conditionality, of conditioned happiness, but my mind gone to the unconditioned, to freedom, to, this, to the lessening, to the fading away of this craving mind, this longing mind that has after all this time been just longing for for the nature of our own mind. The one that's sitting right here. As I often share the words of Genda Rinpoche where he says, don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who's already resting quietly at home in front of your own fireplace. Nothing to do, undo, nothing to want, nothing missing right here. Everything unfolds here. Everything unfolds of itself. Just stay here. Stay here. As the Buddha said so succinctly, I know nothing more conducive to misery than an untrained heart and mind. Which means one that just is at the effect of whatever the whims of the, of the mind. I know nothing more conducive to joy than a well-cultivated, well-strengthened uh, well heart and mind. And so the essential way of emancipating ourselves and in that process, since the emancipation of ourselves also the net effect of that is emancipating everyone else. Because one of, the, one of the 
effects of being so bound up in ourselves, it just reinforces the sense of the other. And at the heart of seeing through this self-illusion is seeing through the, the other. And that's why the net effect of the lessening of that craving is more caring, more love, more generosity, all those qualities that free the heart. The main qualities that free the heart are the three pillars of the Dharma, the, 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 the cultivation of the generous heart. That's why we practice dana, because it's considered one of the verifiable direct causes of the joy of freedom is learning how to let go. The joy and freedom that come through non-harming. Dana, which is generosity, sila, conduct. The joy that comes from, from speaking, thinking, and acting in ways that are harmless, that create the conditions for yourself and others that they feel safe, that you feel safe, that you create an inner and an outer safety through your non-harming. This brings a sense of ease and joy. And finally, training your mind, dhanasila bhavana, training your attention to stay here. And staying here, you see clearly. Seeing clearly, wisdom arises. Wisdom arises, inevitably, compassion arises because you see that you do not exist independently apart from every single thing, being, everything of this world is not apart from you. And so you can't help but feel a deepening sense of affection. How can you not feel the, the impingement of, of so many beings? Last week I talked about just all the, the whole... the the unbelievable measure of suffering in this world, how can we not feel that? And when we feel it, we respond to it. If we're caught up in our own little um, internal world, we, it, we get cut off from the flow of life. So dana sila bhavana, cultivating the bhavana as the, the mental training. And we, we cultivate generally the 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 path of wise livelihood, right livelihood, right action, right speech. Really thinking about, paying attention to how we think about things, what we say, how much of our language is harmonious, beneficial for the benefit of whoever we're speaking to. How much of it is complaining, judging, comparing, analyzing, interpreting. How much dependency we have on our rational mind. How much do we learn to trust our intuitive mind, our, our open awareness right here? So we train our attention. So we, we cultivate wholesome, we maintain it, we abandon the things in our life that cause us suffering, and we, we become so mentally strong that we prevent the tendencies of mind that wreck our lives we prevent that from arising. We surround ourselves with good company. We take refuge in, the, in wakefulness. We take refuge in the truth of what's happening. And we take refuge in keeping like-minded company. And take the three refuges. So emancipate yourself from mental slavery. 
None but ourselves can free our minds. May you all be liberated in no time. Literally. And so you are liberated, so stay that way. And as Hafez says, stay that way and you can bloom. Keep squeezing drops of the sun from your prayers and the beautiful laughter of your friends and the, and the simple movements of your holy body. Learn to recognize the counterfeit coins that will buy you just a moment of pleasure then drag you for days like a broken man behind a farting camel. You are with awareness now. You're with the friend. You can stay that way and bloom. So enjoy your awareness. You're already free. Don't forget it. Thanks for listening. Be free. May our practice be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of everyone. Thank you for being here. Thanks for your practice. Thanks for letting me be remind myself. Thank you for reminding yourself. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.